I want to continue with Genesis because the uh, uh, message here, I think, is a very good Christmas message. And it's a picture of our Savior. We're studying Joseph, and uh, we want to look tonight at uh, a picture of our Savior. Kind of a closer look at uh, Joseph, and I think uh, even as we began our study of Joseph, uh, we realize that uh, he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to see three areas of Joseph's life tonight uh, that I want to show you how he paints a picture of the Lord Jesus. I want us to consider Joseph's humiliation, his exaltation, and his salvation. And as we move through these thoughts, I want to, us to get a fresh glimpse of the Lord uh, himself tonight and let the life of Joseph remind us of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so, first of all, we want to look at Joseph and his humiliation. Joseph and his humiliation. The first thing thing we notice here in this overall portion of of Genesis is that uh, Joseph laid aside his glory. In Genesis uh, 37, in verse 23, it says, And it came to pass... When Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And that coat that uh, Joseph uh, had represented his place in the family. Uh, It told everyone that he was his father's favorite son and that he was going to be the head of the family. You see, that coat represented Joseph's glory. And that glory was laid aside for a time, a time of humiliation. And so like Joseph, Jesus also laid aside his glory to enter a time of humiliation. We find in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, where it says, "This Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And then also in Isaiah 53, we read in verse 1, it said, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we, are, we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. You see, he, the Son of God, left his home in heaven to enter this world as a little baby. The Creator became dependent upon his creation. The glorious God of the universe, because a man became a man, and walked among men. And while he was here, he willingly laid aside his glory. His glory was manifested in many ways when he was here. Uh, But it was visible only one time, and that was when, of course, when Peter, James, and John uh, were taken up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and we saw that in Matthew chapter 17. So he laid aside his glory. Secondly, He became a slave. He became a slave. In Genesis 37, 
And then also uh, in Genesis 39, we find there Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and he was sold as a slave. He went down to Egypt and he served in Potiphar's house. The Lord Jesus also entered into this world as a slave, as we read there in Philippians 2 and verse 7. It says there, he took upon him the form of a servant. He didn't come into this world to occupy a throne of a, the throne of a crown prince. He came to this world to serve humanity and to give his life a ransom for sinners. So he became a slave. He laid aside his glory. He became a slave. The third thing we see in Joseph is he overcame temptation. He overcame temptation. We read about this and looked at this in Genesis chapter 39 and verses 7 through 12 there. We find that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph to commit adultery with her. He steadfastly refused and he maintained his integrity. Jesus also weathered a great storm of temptation for for us, as we see there in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Remember the temptation of Satan upon the Lord Jesus Christ. His temptation was not to prove that he would not sin, but to prove that he could not sin. Jesus came into this world as a spotless Lamb of God, and he was and still is absolutely sinless. A fourth thing that we see in Joseph and his portrait of Jesus was that he was successful in all that he did. Again, in Genesis 39, we find that Joseph was blessed greatly by the Lord and God used him in a very special way. Regardless of where he found himself, the Lord caused him to prosper. And the same is true of the Lord Jesus. He was successful in everything he did. Those who saw him minister said of him, He hath done all things well. Mark 7, 37. He never failed in any task he was given. He healed every sickness that he encountered. He cast out every demon he was faced with. He raised every dead person he came in contact with. He calmed every storm that he was ever in. And he saved every lost soul that would ever believe in him. And in his dying breath, he was able to declare... It is finished. Jesus also was successful in all that he did. And then we find that Joseph was falsely accused. In Genesis chapter 39, again, we saw there where Potiphar's wife made false accusations against Joseph that resulted in him being thrown into prison. He was innocent, and yet he was punished. Jesus, too, was falsely accused. They could find no fault in him. So they found men who were willing to lie in order to convict him. They accused him of blasphemy. And he was guilty of no crime, and yet they sentenced him to death. And then we find that Joseph also offered no defense. In Genesis 39, where we looked at his temptation and his uh, encounter with Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife, and then eventually with Potiphar, we find that Joseph never opened his mouth in his own defense. He took the punishment that was placed upon him without comment. And again, this is a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When he was accused by the Sanhedrin, Jesus offered no defense, it tells us in Matthew 26. When he went before Pontius Pilate, he offered no defense, it tells us in John 19. And when he appeared before Herod, he offered no defense, Luke 23. Even as he went to the cross to die for our sin, he maintained his silence as we see in Isaiah 53, verse 7. You see, he could have freed himself at any time. After all, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Uh, He could have called legions of angels to come to his defense, as we read there in Matthew 26, 53. Uh, He could have spoken the word and his tormentors would have been swallowed up alive by the earth and sent to hell. But he willingly endured the cross and the shame because it was his Father's will. And then another reason we see this, or another thing that we see about Joseph picturing Jesus was that he suffered as an innocent man. Again, from Genesis 39, we've already covered this, but Joseph was falsely accused, unjustly condemned, wrongly imprisoned. He suffered all those years of isolation in prison, and yet he was an innocent man. Again, there's a parallel here with the Lord Jesus. He was not a sinner. He was not a criminal. He did not deserve to go to the cross to die. Uh, He was absolutely innocent, yet he willingly took our place on the cross and died. The innocent for the guilty that you and I might go free. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That was my beating. That was my humiliation. That was my crown of thorns. That was my cross. That was my punishment. That was my death. He did it all for me. If Jesus was guilty of anything, he was guilty of loving sinners. He was guilty of loving me. His love for me placed him on the cross and kept him there until the price was paid. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 through 9 it says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And so we see here Joseph's, Joseph and his humiliation and how it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. A second area was, uh, that we find here is Joseph and his exaltation. Joseph and his exaltation. The first thing we see is that he was brought out of prison. In Genesis 41 here, and in verse 14, it tells us, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and he changed his raiment and he came in unto Pharaoh. Joseph was eventually released from his prison and was brought before Pharaoh. Jesus also was imprisoned. He was imprisoned by death and his body was sealed in a tomb. But three days later, Jesus arose from the dead, tells us in Matthew 28. He came out of the prison and he's alive forevermore, 
according to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. And because he lives, our salvation is guaranteed and our eternal life is secured. He was brought out of prison. And then secondly, he was exalted. He was exalted. In Genesis 41, again in verses 37 through 42, we find here that Joseph is elevated to the position of prime minister. No one in the kingdom besides Pharaoh himself was greater than Joseph. Joseph was given Pharaoh's ring, which was a symbol of authority and power. He was given a gold chain that spoke of his new wealth. He was clothed in fine linen, which signified his work as a, ser- a servant forever, uh, uh, over uh, forever. Jesus also was, has been exalted. The Father has exalted Jesus according to Philippians 2.9. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That word exalted there in Philippians 2.9 means to elevate to the highest rank and power, to raise to supreme majesty. God has magnified Jesus to the place where there is no one greater than him in the universe. The angels of heaven will exalt him, or do exalt him. The saints in glory exalt him. He is worthy to be exalted right now. And like Joseph, Jesus possessed all power in heaven and earth. And he possesses all the wealth of his father. When Jesus was resurrected, he arose with a glorified body. All he was able to do, he was exalted. And then thirdly, we find he was enthroned. Again in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 41, Joseph was given the throne of another. Uh, He was allowed to rule by decree, the decree of Pharaoh. It says there in verse 41, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Jesus also was enthroned and allowed to sit with his father in his throne. And the Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father today. And so he was enthroned. Fourthly, he was given a new name. He was given a new name. Look down in verse 45. In verse 45, we find that Joseph is given a new name. Now, if anybody can pronounce this name, I'll buy you a hamburger. <laughs> I can't even, don't even know if I can pronounce it. Now, this is a wonderful name that Joseph has been get, given by Pharaoh. He called him Zaphnath Paeania. Zaphnath Paeania. Uh, if you can get closer than that, that's, that's good. But he gave to him a wife, Azaneth, the daughter of uh, Potiphera, priest of On, and Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. That was his new name. Now, uh, it was a common for foreigners in those days to get a different name. And it's interesting that this name, uh, Zaphnath, uh, can have several meanings. Uh, he was given this name, and it would probably just have been easier to call him Joe. But uh, uh, he was given this new name, and it's probably been, uh, there's scholars that differ about what the name actually means, but there are some possibilities about what this name actually means. The Savior of the world. 
the revealer of secrets. God speaks and came into being. Abundance of life. God's word speaking life. All these names kind of fit the new life that Joseph had been given by Pharaoh. And when the people heard this name, they fell on their faces and they honored him. It tells us in verse 43. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and he cried. they cried before him, Bow the knee, and he made him ruler over the land of Egypt. Now, of course, his name and the meaning of his name coincides with what the Lord Jesus is. We are told in Philippians chapter 2 that God has given Jesus a name that is above every name. At the very mention of that name, knees were to bow and tongues are to confess that he is Lord. Now all the possible meanings of Joseph's new name have an application to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world, Matthew 1.21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The meaning of he is the revealer of secrets is also applicable to the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then the possible meaning of Joseph's new name God speaks and came into existence. Well, we find that applies to Jesus as well. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The meaning, the abundance of life, we find applies to Jesus in John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, or, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they may have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. And then the meaning of Joe's new name, Zaphnath also means God's word speaking life, which applies to Jesus. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And so you find here these meanings of Joseph's new name also apply to the Lord Jesus. Another thing we find here in Joseph's exaltation was he was given authority in the land. We've already read verses there concerning that. Joseph was given the authority to run the country as he saw fit. Uh, He was the ruler. Well, Jesus has been given all power by his Father as well. According to Matthew 28, he possesses the power to save, according to John 6.37. He possesses the power to judge those who reject him in John 5, 22 and also Revelation 20. He also possesses the power to comfort those who are burdened. Remember when he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He has the power to comfort those who are burdened. And then he also finally, he intervened in the lives of people. In here, in this chapter 41, in verses 48 through 57, we find that Joseph took control of the crops of Egypt. Every person in that country felt the power of his touch. And the Lord Jesus, he also is intimately involved in the lives of his people. 
Jesus intercedes for us in heaven. He meets our needs day by day. He is ever present with us. He says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is involved in our lives in thousands of ways that we can never comprehend. And just as Joseph intervened in the lives of the people that he was, had authority over, so Jesus is involved in our lives as well. And so we find here Joseph and his exaltation. Then finally, we find Joseph and his salvation. It's interesting that uh, the verse in Genesis 41, 46 tells us that Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. It says there in verse 46, And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of, the, of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now it would be then that he would be in a real sense a savior of the land of Egypt as well as other parts of the world. He was not a savior in a spiritual sense, but he was a savior in a physical sense. By the way, I personally believe, as others believe, there is significance in the spelling of the word savior. Now I know the modern spelling, we often see Savior, and we even find it in our hymn books. It's spelled S-A-V-I-O-R. But I thought it was interesting that in the Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, the entry says Savior, I-O-R, and Savior, I-O-U-R. has those two words, Savior, Savior. And the first meaning it shows there, one who saves or delivers. And then the second meaning in the sense of Savior, capital S-A-V-I-O-U-R, it says Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Joseph was a Savior, yes, but it was one a Savior who saved or, and delivered the people of Egypt by providing them food to continue to have a physical life. And he was a picture of the Lord Jesus, who in a sense, in that sense that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he saves and delivers us from our sins and gives us eternal life. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic at that point. On that point, I just like the way the spelling gives the difference. I like the King James Version, and I like the way it's spelled in there because I think it's significant. Perhaps they really mean the same thing. I, uh, I think that's certainly possible when you say Savior... Uh, S-A-V-I-O-R, and you capitalize it, maybe you can say the same thing as Savior, O-U-R. But if you use Savior, you go ahead and do that. I'm not going to break fellowship with you, okay? Uh, I just like to say, I like the way it's spelled in the King James Bible. Now that was just a, that's free, okay? Uh, just thought I'd throw that in, but I thought that was interesting in Joseph and his salvation. Notice in Joseph and his salvation, first of all, his exaltation was followed by a time of plenty. A time of plenty. In verse 47, it tells us here, and in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And just as Joseph had prophesied, the earth brought forth in abundance for seven years. It was 
an age of plenty for the people of Israel. Well, you think about that, and you think about the resurrection, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the earth entered into what we call the age of grace. Uh, although it may not seem like all like it in all parts of the world today, we are actually living at a time of spiritual plenty today. We sometimes think, well, we are, we're living in a spiritual dearth uh, in our own country sometimes. But, you know, you stop and think about what we have and the blessings that God has given to us. The blessing of God saving souls, as He has for nearly 2,000 years, over 2,000 years now. The Spirit of the Lord has been working The Bible is available to us. Uh, We are free to declare the message of the Lord. We have been blessed by the Lord in a great way because He's allowed us to be born in this special time. And so we are experiencing years of plenty. His exaltation was followed by a time of plenty. But then His exaltation was followed by a time of famine. We notice here in verse Verses 53 through 54, it says, it says here, And the seven years of plenteous that was in the land of Egypt was, were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And in the dearth was in all lands, and in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When the age of grace ends, there's going to be a catching away of believers. We call that the rapture. The world will be plunged into a time of great spiritual famine. We think things are bad now. But there's going to be a time called the tribulation when things are going to be awful. And I am so glad tonight that I'm not going to be here. Christians will be removed from this earth. The word of God will not be preached as it is today. The Holy Spirit will also be missing from the world. It will be a time of spiritual apostasy and spiritual famine. Today is the day of salvation. We need to get the good news of the gospel to those who are lost lost and dying in sin today, in this age in which we live. His exaltation was followed by a time of famine. And then, thirdly, he controlled the distribution of all the bread. We say this in verse 55, And all the land of Egypt was famished, and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to do, do. When the people became hungry, I almost said hangry. You know what that is? Sometimes sometimes that's what we get when we get hungry, and uh, we get hangry. And we, uh, uh, I think that's probably what happened in Joseph's day as well. When they got hungry, they began to cry to Pharaoh, and he sent them to Joseph. Only Joseph would give them the bread that they needed. He was the source of life for all the people, both in Egypt and around the world. And like Joseph, Jesus is the only Savior. If you need the bread of life, you have to go to him, for he alone is the bread of life. Only He's the only way to be saved. The only way to be saved to get to Jesus by faith and be born again. God only knows one way of salvation, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the one who controls the bread of life. And then fourthly, he possessed enough bread for all who would come. Again in verse 54, it says there that uh, the dearth was in all the lands, in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Joseph's plan was was to be able to have sufficient bread for every hungry person who came to him for food. And it's Jesus who possesses the power to provide salvation for all who will come to him by faith. Jesus invites any person to come to him. And he won't deny you. He won't deny them the bread of life. No one will ever come to Jesus and find that he is insufficient to save. And then, lastly, he remained in Pharaoh's favor. There in verse 55, it tells us again that Pharaoh uh, said, well, to the Egyptians, go to Joseph. He's the one who can help you. Even after the seven years, Pharaoh was confident that Joseph was the man to run to, and he was the man that could could take care of the needs. Even after some 2,000 plus years, God has still not changed his mind about Jesus. As I said, God is the only one uh, knows the only one person who can save. And if you plan to go to heaven, you'll have to go through the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way into God's salvation. You know, it doesn't matter whether or not you know anything about Joseph, but it does matter what you know about Jesus. And I think it was just very interesting how that you can study the life of Joseph and you can see the Lord Jesus Christ in almost every aspect of his life. Do you think that's maybe why Jesus put that in Genesis? He put the, uh, but the hope of eternal life for us right at the beginning. Yes, it's in a story about a man uh, uh, that uh, we probably wouldn't normally con- connect with Jesus Christ, but he is a picture, a portrait of Jesus Christ. And it matters what we know about Jesus Christ. What you know about Jesus will depend Determine where you spend eternity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to look into this passage of Scripture for a few brief moments tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful picture that we find in the life of Joseph, the picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's amazing what you've done in giving us the story of Joseph, but also giving us the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for a Savior. Thank you for someone who will not turn us down. Thank you for someone who loves us and cares for us enough to die for us. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless this message and this, these thoughts to our hearts tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.